Hello and welcome to Such Sights to See, a movie podcast about my journey through the world of cinema. My name is Patrick. I've been a film fan for many years. I hope to be one for many more. There's nothing I love more than discovering new movies and discussing what I've watched with other like-minded individuals. I think I have a pretty broad taste, so you'll never know what movie you might hear about here. Uh, but just to give you an example, some of my favorite directors are Buster Keaton, De Palma, Cronenberg, Pedro Almodovar, Billy Wilder, Jackie Chan, Lars von Trier. Uh, some of my favorite movies, Pichot, There Will Be Blood, Night Riders, Tempo Po, The Fly, Body Double, Della Morte Della More, Barry Lyndon, White Heat. I can go on and on. There's too many to name. But hopefully, if you stick around, we can all find a bunch more to add to our lists. So that's what this podcast will be about. I'll talk about the movies I've been watching, what new discoveries I've made. But more importantly, though, each episode, I'll be doing a little mini dive into a subsection of film, be it a director, star, country, genre, etc. To expand my horizons, though, I'll be having on guests that will be determining what that topic is. They will pick something in the film world that they care about or find interesting, and I'll do some exploration into that topic, and then when they come on, we'll discuss it. No holds barred, any topic goes. I'm wide open to new experiences. And that's it. It's going to be a short and sweet podcast. I'm just excited to be talking about movies. Uh, Today, for this first episode, it's just me, and since it's spooky October or Halloween time, this episode will be horror movie-themed. And if you're right around to the end, I'll leave you with what I call an uncommon film recommendation. Something that I think is worth your time that most people aren't talking about. So let's jump in with some of the movies I've watched recently. Uh, Please feel free to follow along on my Letterboxd account. My name is Long Monkey, L-O-N-G Monkey, and I rate and review every film I've seen. Also... I'll try not to spoil any of the movies I talk about until I get into the main segment. So let's kick it off. October 1st, I watched Scream Time from 1983 to kick off the horror movie season. I wanted to start off with an anthology film, because horror and anthologies go together really well, usually. This one as a wraparound story of a bunch of guys who steal some VHS tapes from a video store and go home to watch these horror movies with their girlfriends and each short is one of the movies they're watching Uh, the movies are the shorts are varying quality first one's not great it's a punch and judy takeoff the second one has a really cool concept a little poorly executed but I won't go into detail as to what it's about because the twist is kind of neat third one though is a lot of fun in a I can't believe this is happening. It's pretty bad kind of way. Uh, Let's just say there are gnomes and fairies and uh, a lot of strange things that this guy encounters while he's helping these old ladies um, take care of their garden. takes place in England. So not really recommended. It does get better as it goes, but... uh, yeah, not a high recommendation. All the ending kind of makes it worth it, if that's your thing. 
Um, then I watched a movie called The Platform, Netflix exclusive, from just last year, 2019. The Platform, let's see the... Uh, how can I describe this one? I'll read the letterboxed review, the synopsis. A mysterious place, an indescribable prison, a deep hole, an unknown number of levels, two inmates living on each level, a descending platform containing food for all of them, an inhuman fight for survival, but also an opportunity for solidarity. So, yeah, it sounds a little pretentious, but it's actually a really well-executed horror uh, metaphor in a way, but the, the idea is that there's only enough food to go around, and the people at the top get to eat the food first. That's pretty clear from the beginning of the movie. And then how do these characters deal with that, and how do they get there in the first place, and what are they going to do? And... Uh, yes, it's a pretty obvious metaphor, but the movie is about that metaphor and what the metaphor is created in order for people to kind of figure out how to break it. I'm not, I'm kind of being vague cause I don't want to ruin it. Anyway, it's a really cool idea, really well executed. And it's the type of movie I love a lot, which is people trapped in a place together usually horror movies where people somehow get trapped in a single location and you get to see the character dynamics of how people interact with each other as they're trying to deal with their situation i really love those movies they're usually really cheesy this is one of the better ones although the ending really messed it up it was really close to being a five-star movie at some point while i was watching this and then the ending kind of drops the ball it's unfortunate but still a very good recommendation uh, sticking with Netflix and someone not really known for horror, but this is a vaguely horror movie, Charlie Kaufman's I'm Thinking of Ending Things uh, from this year. Nothing is as it seems when a woman experiencing misgivings about her new boyfriend joins him on a road trip to meet his parents at their remote farm. Okay, so I love Charlie Kaufman. Synecdoche, New York is one of my favorite movies. Anomalisa is great. Of course, Eternal Sunshine and being John Malkovich. It's, he's a powerhouse when it comes to writing. This one is also really, really well-written and really, really smart and challenging. The problem is that I think this film goes over a lot of the territory that he went over in his other movies and does it in a less entertaining way. It is surreal and scary at times and just odd and off-putting. And a lot of his other movies have been that way, but they've also been funny and entertaining and really engaging. And this one just felt a little cold and personal and a little bit of a retread of his previous themes. So standalone, I think it's a very interesting, thoughtful, and challenging movie, but I would recommend Charlie Kaufman's previous films over this one. So yes, if you're a fan, definitely watch it. If you're interested in a challenging, you know, the philosophical um, analysis, then check it out. But uh, if you haven't seen Synecdoche, New York, go watch that instead. 
Next on my list is a movie called Night of the Demon from 1980. This is one of those regional horror movies, you know, these horror movies that were financed by like local business guys, like dentists and doctors and whatever from a small town. And, and they were just trying to uh, sort of invest in a horror movie, which was you know, profitable at the time, probably still is very profitable. And, uh, you know, star some local talent, uh, get a local director, make a cheap movie and, you know, play it around the area and get some money back. So that, that that's sort of a genre of itself, these original horror movies. This is one of the better ones because it's not, it's not good. First off, it is about, it's a Bigfoot movie, Bigfoot in the woods, killing people. It's a professor and his students have a grisly encounter with a Sasquatch like creature that prowls the backwoods. It's poorly written and poorly executed, but it actually moves really fast and has creative Bigfoot kills, bloody kills in very interesting and fun ways. And it, you know, against my better judgment, I felt myself being charmed by this. When it first came on the screen, I was like, oh my God, this is so, so low budget, so poorly uh, made. But I stuck with it, and I was glad I did because there are definitely some memorable scenes, and it just gets weirder and weirder, and the pace is, is really nice. Um, I recommend it if you're if that's your type of movie. I, you know, you'll you you won't be disappointed. <laughs> uh, I'm also a really big Bigfoot fan in general, so maybe that uh, made me like it more than I should have. But yeah, check it out, Night of the Demon. All right, that is it for what I've watched recently. Besides the movies that are going to be part of the main segment this episode which is my deep dive on the Hellraiser series. It's more of a shallow dive. I watch Hellraiser 1, 2, and 3, and spoilers will follow because I'm going to go a little in-depth on these movies and what I think about them. First off, Clive Barker wrote and directed the first Hellraiser. Now, I think the first Hellraiser is excellent. I had seen it before a couple times. I just haven't watched it in a couple years. So it was really good to revisit it. Clive Barker has this way of... It's it's almost like generating a mood via these images and sound, and, and especially the dialogue and the way people deliver their lines. There's so many memorable lines from Hellraiser, including the one that the, this podcast gets its name from. But... He creates this like sleazy but classy atmosphere. It's visually arresting and visually. Uh, it sort of kind of burrows under your skin some of the scenes that he creates and some of the the ideas that are in this film. So if you haven't seen it, or I'm sure you probably have at this point. Um, I'm going to read the synopsis real fast. An unfaithful wife encounters a zombie of her dead lover while the demonic Cenobites are pursuing him after he escaped their sadomasochistic underworld. So it's a great setup about this uh, guy who is sort of pursuing pleasure his whole life and has hit his limits of what can be done in the mortal realm and has found this way to contact these demons that are supposed to 
blur the line between pain and pleasure and give him this ultimate experience, which he does. And unfortunately, it uh, doesn't go very well for him. And he is rended apart and destroyed. And those Cenobites and the way they act is very, very... It's just so unique and such a visceral feel and kind of it really hit hit me it's sort of a, a Clive Barker has only directed three movies and he does have this really interesting way of creating visuals that stick with you and Hellraiser is like the epitome of that there are so many great scenes um everything with the Cenobites, everything with the uh, murders. So eventually the um, this guy gets brought back to life and he needs blood to uh, become human again. And the woman he had an affair with, who happens to be his brother's wife, is bringing him men and murdering them and they're using the blood to resurrect him. And all these scenes are very, very dramatic and intense. Uh, there are legitimately scary scenes in the first one. There's a scene where um, the brother, the one who came back to life, is going to wants to murder his brother while and his wife's trying to stop stop this from happening. And she's on the bed with her husband, and the you know this guy comes in. He has no skin, and he's got the knife, and he's gonna murder murder him. And it's just it's really intense and off-putting and I really really loved it the movie kind of uh, maybe takes a few missteps towards the end gets a little too overblown but overall it's a really solid solid movie with a solid backstory and its own sinister internal logic it's one of the greats really so Hellraiser 2 Hellbound Hellraiser 2 was made by a uh, different director, Tony Randall. But it stars the actress from the first one who played the daughter. Her name is Ashley Lawrence. And she is in a couple of the Hellraiser movies. She plays the daughter of the couple from the first movie who is now in a mental institution. And the doctor who's in charge of her care, the psychiatrist, is a crazy guy who wants to contact these Cenobites. And he figures out a way to do so using her uh, to get to them. And, okay, Hellraiser 2 is a visual feast for the eyes, but the internal logic of the movie just went crazy. There's no uh, coherence to what is happening one event leads to the next, leads to the next. It doesn't, there's no connections there. They're just crazy events that are happening and crazy effects that you're seeing. And yes, the movie is great to watch because of all those crazy things. But I found that Hellraiser 2 got rid of the simple mythology that Clive Barker created for the first one and expanded that into a larger mythology that really put the visuals over the uh, internal logic of the story and I found it that 
it didn't stick with me as much, even though there are some amazing scenes in the second one, especially when um, the actress from the first movie, uh, Claire Higgins, who plays Julia, the wife, when she comes back to life on that mattress, that is really, really effective. And when he is bandaging her up, like the Invisible Woman, and then there's such like such like weird sexual overtones to all this that's happening. It's really, really great and affecting. But I just wish it had more coherence to the mythology. Um, it just didn't. It just didn't. And that that's the the big problem with Hellraiser too. Still recommended. A great feast for the eyes. So Hellraiser 3 was made um, 1992. Hellraiser 3, Hell on Earth. So another director this time, Anthony Hickox, who did uh, Waxwork. And this is a slightly lower budget movie, but it still has some great practical special effects. We're still in the 90s here, so there hasn't been um, CGI I think that you know around the late 90s, early 2000s, these lower mid-budget horror movies started diving off a cliff because of the use of CGI. So I really love the time before that where they did all these things practically. And the practical effects in Hellraiser 3 are a lot of fun. The story is much better set up than Hellraiser 2, I think. It involves the... Uh, Pinhead now is trapped in some sculpture, some weird art sculpture after the second movie. And that sculpture is bought by this rich, jerky playboy guy who owns a like a dance club and a restaurant. And uh, he, he becomes you know obsessed with the sculpture and Pinhead tries to use him to get victims to him so he can escape this sculpture and create new Cenobites and... There's a reporter who is on the case, um, Terry Farrell, who is from uh, Deep Space Nine fame, and she's great. I wish she was in more movies than she is. I actually went on a little Terry Farrell rabbit hole. I will uh, go through my uh, watch list after this segment, and you can see what I mean. But she plays a reporter who is kind of digging into this weird murder that happened. Of course, it was Pinhead killing somebody. But um, things go great for a while in the movie. It's moving along. There's a lot of fun atmosphere, especially in this, this club scene. It kind of fits. Um, it's almost like Hellraiser could be slotted into various different... Um, Settings, You know, the first one was just like a house. Second one was a mental institution. The third one is like clubs, like a club scene, like a city. And it it works in all three. So this one, um, Terry Farrell is looking into these murders. And eventually there's a whole bunch of plot exposition as to how the original person who turned into Pinhead, which was uh, 
introduced in Hellraiser 2, which is something I hated. You don't need backstory for the Cenobites. They're just demons. They don't need to be humans first. Anyway, that person is a ghost now, and he's trying to get Terry Farrell to help him destroy Pinhead. And there's a lot of exposition that just kind of kills the movie dead for a little bit. But then when it gets going again and the climax is set up, it's it's a lot of fun because Pinhead has these new Cenobites, which are kind of um, Cenobites that are built around, I guess, what was in the air at the moment, like the zeitgeist of the time. So you got the DJ Cenobite, which has these CDs all in his head and shoots CDs at people. It's it's pretty cool. And then you got the cameraman Cenobite who has a camera lens for an eye and he uses that camera lens to like stab people in the head. It's great great stuff that just like goofy demonic fun. So it doesn't have that like really sinister vibe that the first one did, but it still has fun horror movie vibe. That climax saves the movie because from before then it wasn't really working for me in that middle segment. But it uh, wound up being a lot of fun, and I think if it didn't have Terry Farrell, who I think is a great lead, it would be much less interesting. So that concludes my little mini-dive on Hellraiser. I'm a fan of the first one, diminishing returns after that. I'm scared to watch Hellraiser 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, and 10, apparently. There are 10 of these. Um, the letterbox ratings get lower and loader, lower as they go. So, um, all right, let me quickly touch base on some of the things I'm looking forward to. So in that Terry Farrell rabbit hole, I found a movie called Off the Mark from 1987, which looks to be like a uh, sort of like the teen sex comedies, like Meatballs, Revenge of Nerds type thing, except it has to do with a Russian exchange student and a teenage boy who... Uh, years later, as adults find themselves competing against each other in a triathlon competition. And she apparently plays the girl, and the letterbox reviews look insane, so I'm looking forward to finding that one somewhere, maybe after spooky October Halloween time month. Uh, otherwise, I have um, a few movies upcoming that I'm looking forward to. Final Exam, uh, Slasher Movie, and... Dead Heat, the Joe Piscopo fighting zombies buddy cop movie. That should be entertaining. But you can check out my letterbox and follow along with me. And uh, hopefully we'll we'll, uh, be able to talk about them next time. But before I go, I promised you an uncommon film recommendation. So that recommendation today is is a movie called Demon Wind. Demon Wind, I just watched literally right before starting this podcast, and I was really blown away. It is sort of the perfect combination of uh, dumb and smart. (laughs) So it's like a bad movie with really good segments. It's made in 1990 by Charles Philip Moore, and it's. uh, I'm going to read the little synopsis here. The strange and brutal deaths of Corey's grandparents have haunted him for years. Determined to discover the truth, he has returned to the desolate region where they lived, along with a group of friends, to try and uncover the mystery. Blah, blah, blah. It is reminds me a lot of Evil Dead or 
the Tales from the Crypt Demon Knight, where it's like a bunch of people in a house fighting off demons. But this one, the characters are like goofy, and the reactions of people don't make much sense. And normal lines are delivered with such timing and in such places that it's it's actually pretty hilarious. Uh, but you combine that with some really great creature effects and some very, very unpredictable screenwriting that doesn't really make sense, but still is a lot of fun to watch. And you got yourself like a crowd pleaser. I wish I saw this one in the theater. Um, it would have gone over like gangbusters at one of those old repertory screenings, but unfortunately that's not going to happen anytime soon. So yes, I recommend Demon Wind from 1990. Give it a shot. All right, so that is it for today. Thank you very much. I hope you enjoyed it. My letterbox, once again, is Long Monkey. And you can check out my website where I write a lot of fiction and do a bunch of other things. That is proleary.com, proleary.com. I'll be back soon with more film discoveries for us to gush over. In the meantime, go watch some movies. Good night and sweet dreams. <laughs>